0: Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions, explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode.
1: On today's episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, We'll learn that there is actually more to life than taxes, money, investing, and the things we normally talk about on this show. There's a lot more, in fact, life itself, love, romance, friendship, family, dreams, and celebration. And in honor of the upcoming 246th birthday of the United States of America on July 4th, today your host, J. Barry Watts, is celebrating America on The Truth about taxes and retirement.
2: Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement, sponsored by the Wealthcare Corporation. I am your host, Jay Barry Watts, a tax strategist and retirement designer by day, and podcast guy the rest of the time. And today we're going to take a step back from our normal conversations about the IRS and the stock market and whether or not you have enough money to retire and what's happening with inflation. Now we're not going to talk about any of that stuff today. Instead. We're gonna laugh, we might even giggle, (laughs) as we celebrate the birthday of America with one of the greatest comedians of all time. Now, if you're of my generation, you'll remember this guy from his appearances on The Night Court television show, and he used to appear as well on what was called The Tonight Show, but we called it in that day Johnny Carson. Hey, who's on Johnny Carson? He's got big screen movie credits. In fact, he's the guy who taught Robin Williams how to speak with a Russian accent. He has a recently minted doctorate in psychology and global leadership. So buckle your seatbelt and hold on to your sides so you don't laugh your yak It's my great delight <laughs> to welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement,
3: Dr. Yakov Smirnoff. Oh, thank you. That's a great intro. Thank you so much. I appreciate well, that.
2: We are so delighted to have you on the show. I know it's going to be a great time together, and we just want to hear your story. In fact, let me set it up by telling why you're on the show and why I thought to invite you to the show. Uh, Yakov plays regularly in Branson, Missouri, where he lives, and I live not far from Branson. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, famous uh, entertainment that comes through Branson I never see. Andy Williams was there 25 years. I never saw his show. And I thought to myself, this funny guy, I've always wanted to see him I'm going to go to his show so a couple of years ago I went to Yakov's show in Branson and I was sitting there laughing and just carrying on and enjoying it and enjoying the things that he was saying about America and the perspective he comes from not having grown up here and I wished my daughters could hear it and out of that was born the idea hey Barry why don't you invite Yakov on your show so that's why I invited you to the show is I want everybody to have the experience I had at your show down in Branson
3: well thank you I don't know if we'll be able to replicate what you were watching, but we can definitely talk about things that inspire me to do that kind of a show.
2: Well, uh, that's what we want to hear about. So, tell us your story, Yakov. How did you get from where you were to to here today?
3: Well, a part of it was thanks to my parents and the birth process. I (laughs) I I showed up on on in the Soviet Union, where where my mom was a teacher, my dad was a building construction engineer, and I was unemployed at that point. I was um, living in a communal apartment with them. Nine families lived in one apartment, where each family occupied one room of the apartment, which is kind of a you know socialist heaven one bathroom for nine families no car no phone things like that but we didn't even know those were an option so on tv propaganda 24/7 only two channels channel 1 is propaganda channel 2 a kgb officer tells you turn back to channel 1 so those were those were the good old days you know And we lived like that till I was 26 years old and um, started actually doing comedy when I was 15. And it's kind of hard for Americans to picture Russian comedian because, you know, it sounds like contradiction. You know, it sounds like Amish electrician. (laughs) You know, you don't don't hear much about those guys. Probably not. No. So because they don't have a union and we had a big... Soviet Union, you know, so (laughs) so it was it was what it was. We had a department of jokes that was part of Minister of Culture uh, that would censor your material once a year. Wait, are you serious?
2: Was there really a department of jokes?
3: Yes, as so that's not just a joke. No, no, as and department of songs, department of dance, department of. I mean, everything was controlled, not joking. I wish I was, but I was controlled by the bureaucrats who would tell you what's funny, what's not funny, uh, or what they think people should uh, listen to or not, you know. And so that was just reality. Nobody questioned it. Questioning it would, we knew what the consequences would be. So, it was kind of bred into us with, the, with our mother's milk uh, that just shut up and sit down and be quiet and do what they tell you to do. And that's what we did. Until so, till I started working on, as a comedian on the cruise ships on the Black Sea, and that's where I met tourists. A lot of them were from the United States, but a lot of them also were from Europe and they were totally different. I couldn't pinpoint what it was, but you know, the best way, I mean, they just were careless. They were free, they they were and carrying on and dancing. And I just, and the Russians were just sitting there watching them because they were afraid that if they do something wrong, they'll get in trouble. So that was a, a contrast that I was lucky to see and saw that spark of freedom in their eyes that I so wanted to get that. And I never seen it before. And so that's what started our journey to America by just wanting to experience that. So were you doing comedy on those cruise ships? I was, I was doing kind of master of ceremonies uh, slash comedy, yes. And I, now the Black
2: Sea is uh, totally Russian controlled, is that correct?
3: At that time, yes. At that time, now it borders with like Georgia and, well, let's see. Uh, but at that time, uh, those cruise ships were totally Soviet, under Soviet flag, and everything was under that, con- under Soviet government control. So even on the ship, you had to be careful about what you said. Oh, uh, yes, very much so. Mm. Uh, and it was you really was you were given a script that you, were, you you that fit their narrative. And you were pretty much repeating that without improvising would be very dangerous. Yakov
1: Patrice here. On the yeah. cruise ships, did the uh-huh. foreign passengers laugh at your
3: material? You know, it's a great question. They did more about because what I I knew that I had different people from different countries, and they were. This was, I had a privilege to have interpreters on for all of these groups, and they and and I would organize. Things that were more visual, physically, like contests, like a Miss Cruise contest, where they would have to, with the instructions of what I wanted them to do, they would just compete with one another. So if there was like five different groups. They were competing with one another. So the humor, which was actually a, a very big moment in my life where my mom was very much against going to America. That was like, for 20 years, my dad was trying to convince her, we need to get out, we need to get out. And she was, no, 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 because she was concerned that I will not be able to make it in the United States. And I was the only child. And I didn't speak English. And I, we didn't have much money. We didn't know anybody. So she was concerned about that. But when she saw me, I invited them on a cruise one day and she saw me performing in front of that international audience and they were falling over laughing because not because they understood my language, but they could understand my facial expressions, my timing. And it was good enough for me to, for her to see Oh, wait, maybe there is, a, there is something there. That's a
2: great story, Barry. So Yakov, when did you first know you were funny?
3: In school, when I would get in trouble regularly by doing, you know, making fun of teachers. We had teachers <laughs> who were pretty mean. And I remember one time this teacher said to the class, anybody who's not smart, stand up. And I stood up. And he said, Yaakov, you're pretty smart. I said, yeah, but I didn't want you to be the only one standing. <laughs> that was not smart at all. <laughs> however, however, my classmates all band over laughing, and I knew that I had something, uh, and I was addicting almost. You know, I wanted to hear that laughter, so I would get in trouble more and more and more as I was getting older. And one time, uh, yeah, I was probably about, I wanna say maybe 13, maybe something like that. And, and I got in trouble and you know, the routine was when you walk into the principal's office, they ask you, who is your father? And you're supposed to say, my father is Soviet Union. And who is your mother? And you're supposed to say, my mother is Communist Party. And then a routine is like, who do you, whom do you want to be? And you're supposed to tell them, like, I want to be a teacher, you know, a, po- a farmer, bus driver, whatever. And they asked me, who's your father? And I said, my father is Soviet Union. And who's your mother? I said, my mother is Communist Party. They said, whom do you want to be? I said, I want to be an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> okay now that was good that was good and And what happened what happened magic magic happened my principal (laughs) laughed which yeah because he wanted to be an orphan too but he didn't really have a choice so so that really gave me uh if i i was thinking if i can make him laugh then maybe i can uh, make people laugh professionally.
2: So, so one of the that, dangers to an interview like this, though, is we don't know when you're going for the joke and when you're telling truth in the story. Were you really supposed to answer that my father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really? This was, yeah.
3: This was a normal. I mean, you see, Americans and Canadians, we, we are not there yet, but we're heading that way very, very fast that this becomes norm, the narrative of the government becomes norm to uh, whatever they wanna do. They wanna censor you with the Department of Jokes, they do that. People don't own guns, people don't have jury trials. None of that existed, none of that was there. So they could do whatever they want to, Whatever the rules they wanted to have, they do it. So when your principal laughed, you knew yeah. you'd made him laugh.
2: Yes. Um w- w- what happens after that? Is he just pat you on the head and not, tell you to go to class get, or
3: get out of here. Yeah, get out of here and stuff. <laughs> but but I knew that I had a, a potential that when I risk and I and I win. And that's kind of was the mode of intelligent comedians that we were finding material that would get under the radar from the censors, but the audience would get it. They would understand it. And so it was kind of risky, but it was, if they said, no, you're not doing that joke, then you don't. But, but if they didn't catch it, then you were good for a year to use that joke. Did you ever do a joke that you got in trouble for after the fact? No, not, no, no. I I was pretty smart to avoid those. You're you're still here. So no, you didn't. I'm here. That. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah.
2: So I think you said you first started doing comedy at 15. What, what was your first gig? How do you, how do you get started in that?
3: Um, it, there was a lot of different government, again, everything is controlled by the government so but like my mom was a teacher so there was a club for teachers union uh so and and kids of teachers if they wanted to they would participate in some celebrations like may 1st or day of victory or uh revolution day something like that. And we would put down like some amateur productions and they they had a, a, a you know, a assigned person there who would stage those things. And they were mostly patriotic, kind of a, a, a rah-rah Communist Party, rah-rah this Soviet Union, stuff like that. But there was spots where you could, do some comedy. And there was a couple of comedians that were pretty famous there in the Soviet Union because they were, they were clever. They were able to still to kind of make light fun of the, of the communist or the regime or whatever we were dealing with, shortages of stuff. But they were not criticizing. They were just making a little fun. And they and they were censored as well by the same Department of Jokes. And they would be on the radio every Sunday. There was a state run radio that was in every house, and you could not turn it off. It was just on. You can make it quieter, but not you can't, you couldn't turn it off. And so, but on Sunday morning. That guy, Arkady Rykin was his name. He was kind of a standard comedian. And boy, did I, I would, I had a big tape recorder, you know, and I would record his stuff and I would memorize it next day. I would have the whole routine. And there was no such thing as like people had, you know, like, Con- the, the material was not, pro- pro- what is it, proper, pro- pro- proprietary? Yes. Nobody nobody even knew what that meant, you know? So people were just using it as jokes, so they heard it and they would tell it and and nobody was like saying, wait, that's not your routine, that's Arkady Reichen's routine. No. Nobody apologized, nobody did anything, you know? So I was given that wonderful gift to use his material and go on stage in front of like, you know, a hundred people, 200 people and do that a couple of times a year.
2: So just so I understand, you're telling me that there was essentially a radio, a device in every Russian home that yeah. was not controlled in the home, but is controlled by the state. And when the state wants to make an announcement to you, they punch the button and they talk
3: into your house, no matter what's going on there. Pretty much kind of like on a cruise ship. Yeah. If the captain needs to make an announcement, you're going to hear it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you yeah. do know that that stuff just blows our mind and we're like, yeah, it's not possible. I can't even imagine how that works.
3: Oh oh no, don't. don't that, we, you and I are still of the age that we, we might see some of that in, in the United States, unfortunately. Well,
1: how, so? how so?
3: Well, I mean, if you think about uh, what's happening right now with the, with the speech being controlled by a, a fairly small group of people, whatever that is, and you can get canceled, what do you think that was? In the Soviet Union, when you were canceled, you were gone, you were done. Here, you just don't, social media treats you like, you know, whatever they think you are and you have no way to fight it. And that's unheard of like only 10 years ago or 20 years ago, there was be like, what are you talking about? That the president of the United States would be kicked off Twitter because someone wanted him to be kicked off. I mean, that's pretty extreme. Don't you think? I
2: certainly think it is, and I know a, a comedian in Branson who apparently has kicked off Twitter. You don't have a Twitter account? It, it says well, it's no, suspended.
3: I, is it really?
2: Yeah. When you look when <laughs> so when I go to your website and I click on your Twitter icon at the bottom, yeah, it takes me to an
3: account that says this account is suspended. You kidding? <laughs> I, and I'm not even am not I'm not even posting anything. Well, yeah, I'm telling you, that's what happened yesterday. So wow, I'm gonna check into that. But so there you go, there is your example. <laughs> you I'll, came... I'll give you I'll give you another example. I'll okay. give you another example. I was doing a show in Florida, and um the, the promoter said that he wanted to buy some advertising for my show, and the show was called Make America Laugh Again. Okay, they would not, they said, we can't advertise that. That's too political. What? And then they said, yes, I'm not joking. And then this is how crazy it is. And then he said, well, can we just uh, advertise it as Yakov Smirnov show? And they said, we don't advertise alcohol either.
1: Oh, for heaven's <laughs> sakes.
3: <laughs> this is not, this was like a year and a half, two years ago. So, I, so, again,
2: weird. we're asking the question, is that a part of the joke or is that really the story? Would would they really not use your name because they didn't That's know?
3: Correct. That's correct. That's no, correct. No, it's not a joke. See, what I
2: like about this and what I hope my daughters hear in the podcast when they listen to it, even if no one else does, is I just want them to be aware of the the freedoms we enjoy that make us say stories like that are just ridiculously absurd. It's not even possible it could be that way. And yet we have testimony from people who've walked the walk even recently in America. Yes. And I I think that is just uh, incredible. And people need to be aware of that. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted you on the show. So you left a repressive Soviet Union to come to the United States when you were 26. Is that right?
3: Yes. Uh
2: huh. And tell us about how did you how did you make the decision? How did you get here? How were you received when you got here? All those kinds of things.
3: Oh, we can talk for a long time on this. I mean, it was a it was a very difficult decision because uh, we did not. Uh, the information was totally censored in whatever we were getting in the Soviet Union, information wise. About America was all negative. there was nothing good about it. so it, it they would just show you the mob, they show you the gangs, they show you the stock market that people will would kill each other. I mean it, it was just weird, weird uh, perspective on America. so all the whatever negative things they could find, they would do that and so. Uh, living like that, 26 years, if I didn't see the spark of freedom in in Americans or other countries' um, people eyes, I would probably not have enough guts to make that decision because all the information, and this is, okay, I'll tell you, So so I was a comedian, right? So I would perform only on the times when Uh, the cruise line, normally they would uh, lease their ships to European countries or Americans or somewhere. So they would make dollars, they would release them and they would send the crew with with the ship. So like the band, the captain, the upper officers, they were part of that deal. But the people like myself who were disposable or you know, we we were told to get off the ship when they leave the country. So I never left the Soviet Union prior to leaving. To, so I remember going to Kiev at that time because a, fr- a friend of mine who was a leader of the band, of, he would go a- abroad and they continually brainwash them on those ships. When, even if they left the ship to go shopping or whatever, they would still show them how superior Russia or Soviet Union is because, and whatever they were using, it was working because when I went to his house, apartment, and I said, listen, I, I can't remember the name. I think it was Yuri, but maybe some, I don't remember and i said can tell me the truth are those people are they are they weird are they like will i will i be able to do make them laugh there in america you know he literally i'm not joking he put a pillow on the telephone he said let's go for a walk we can't talk here so we went for a walk and he tells me everything that television is pretty much was telling me all this time. Totally brainwashed, no way. I said, but but do they have comedians at least? And said, yes, they do. But, and, and are they funny? What are they doing? And, and he was saying, listen, you would be an idiot to go to that country. So that was just one example of what we had to go through just to make a decision to get out. And then once we made the decision, then it was like, how do we survive? Because the, the, the Soviet government was doing everything to discourage people to leave, but, but they wanted to, they needed wheat from America. And Jimmy Carter told them, you know, you give us, we'll give you wheat if you allow people out. So So they were doing roadblocks on their side of how to prevent people leaving. So one of the roadblocks was if if a young person wants to leave, they have to take the old people with him because we don't want to, the, the state does not want to take care of them, <clears throat> which worked for us. But most of older people didn't want to leave, were scared to leave. So, so then they would just stay or they would make you get five reference letters from uh, or all the different places that you used to work at, they have to, the, 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 their, uh, the <clears throat> boss would have to write your letter that you're, you're a good person. And they didn't want to write that letter because we were traitors. We were like terrible for the country. So the whole thing was horrific. And then a funny story now, you, you'll think this is a joke. But we needed to survive because we knew Americans are not going to let us in right away. So they put us in some other country, in our case, in Italy, so they can do a security check, whatever. And so we needed money to survive. And they would only allow us to have $100 per person to take with us. And everything else stayed back, Uh, and two suitcases a person, and with very specific items that were allowed to take out. So we bought, you know, those Matryoshka dolls that we could sell, some couple of Russian hats, things like that. But then we heard through the grapevine, this will sound like a joke, but it was true, that there is a one item that very valuable in, in, uh, in Italy that you can sell and, and they're very cheap in the Soviet Union, and it was condoms. And, and this is- Okay, a, well, if you, it takes me a minute to think through that, but I'm getting with you, okay, I understand. Condoms were one penny, like a equ- equivalent in the Soviet Union, and a dollar in, in Italy. Talk about bang for your buck, right?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> or a, or a buck for your bang, but but this was true. This was true. So and there was no limit on those. You could get as many as you want. I mean, there was no limit, <laughs> right? So so, so we, you took two suitcases full of condoms. One one suitcase, <laughs> and and put it in my mom's suitcase. You know, because because we assume that people will not ask her, why do you need that? <laughs> yes. You know, so so we brought them to Italy and we would we literally like first weekend there was an open market and we brought that suitcase and and my parents who never been like capitalists or never knew about it, they became like really good at this. <laughs> so mom, this was, this was, so, was so funny. They, ma, dad would be in charge of advertising. So he was making balloon animals out of those things. And, and mom would hold up, this this is crazy. She learned, she translated into Italian a phrase that, and, and when a man would pass by, she would hold up the condom and she would point at me and she would say, if you don't want kids like that, buy a condom.
1: <laughs> so you were part of the advertising. I group, was.
3: <laughs> I was. And, and, and they would laugh immediately and they would buy it. So, so that's how we kind of survived on, on that. What a great introduction to your
2: parents to capitalism. Absolutely buying them they for embrace- a penny,
3: selling them for a buck. Uh,
2: you know, yeah, I'd they buy embrace a train car
3: load of those today. That's that's why I'm on your show, you see, because you want people to know how to make it through their retirement age, just oh, buy condoms in the in and I'll go and go to Italy, right? Okay, well, just in case anyone
2: from the SEC is listening, that is not exactly the investment <laughs> advice that we're giving you today. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you got to America, you did a lot of television. Uh, what were some of the highlights of that? And take us through your connections to presidents,
3: if you don't mind. Sure. Well, it it I didn't speak English when I got here. So first it had to be, I had to learn the language. I decided to become a bartender because on the cruise ships, the bartenders were in the same a room where I was performing, only they were on the other side, the bar was. So I kind of figured that would give me a chance to make a living and also learn the language, So, which is what I did. And then little by little, start telling jokes to my customers. And depending on how much tips I would get, I would know if I was funny or not. And that that kind of got me to the next place where i went to hollywood and uh, auditioned at the comedy store which was a mecca of comedy then and still today and the owner of the comedy store liked what i was doing even though my english was very broken but she thought i was unique there was nobody there was no russian comedian at that time you know and so uh, she suggested that I stay there. And that guided me to, you know, Robin Williams was performing there on a regular basis when he got the movie Moscow on the Hudson. He brought Paul Mazursky, who was the director-producer, to do, um, uh, see me. And that's when he gave me a, a break. And I was working with Robin and helping him kind of stay on on track with his because he wanted to do a show a movie in russian so they kept me there for a while to do that with him so and um and then and then got the movie of money i think the next one was money pit with tom hanks and then A movie was Richard Pryor, Brewster's Millions, and then movie was Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson called Heartburn. And that was pretty, I mean, it was happening pretty fast. I thought it was just because I was so talented, but really it had to do a lot with the tension that was between the Soviet Union and the United States. And I was releasing that tension. On the Tonight Show, with Johnny Carson, or Night Court, or other places, and then I got invited to to the White House, which was kind of, you know, I was a little nervous because they called and they said, "Would like you uh, to to go to Washington to perform in front of the Bushes," <laughs> and and I I said that will get me arrested, <laughs> but. George Bush Senior was a vice president for President Reagan at that time, so I, you know, uh, I went and met President Reagan, and we hit it off like immediately because he loved the jokes, Russian jokes, and um, he was very much, you know, uh, he knew a lot of them, but he wanted more and more and more. So I was like a supplier for for his for his addiction to to russian so people. you were like you were like ronald reagan's dealer kind of again <laughs> if fcc is watching it this is not the advice we're giving
1: and past performance is no promise of future expectations
3: exactly So
2: you worked for presidents, you provided material to Reagan, and then one day you land in a little bitty resort town in Southwest Missouri called Branson. How did you get to Branson, Missouri?
3: I didn't want to go to Branson. I didn't even, I mean, I, I was snob, snobby, like everybody who lived in Malibu. And I just thought that, you know, Midwest was just a land that you fly over to get to New York. So I really was kind of, you know, I I, I was kicking and screaming that I didn't want to go. But what happened is the Soviet Union collapsed. And on the night of the collapse, David Letterman had a top 10 list of things that will now change. And I made number one on the list, Yakov Smirnov will be out of work. And I thought it was funny, but, Six months later, it wasn't. None of my contracts in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Reno, Tahoe were renewed. So I started literally looking for a place where they did not know that the Soviet Union collapsed. <laughs> and that's how I landed in France. And they still don't know, by the way. And I'm not, I'm not about to tell them. So
2: you live in Branson, Missouri, and perform Mm -hmm. out of there. Tell us about your show and and when you're there and how people get tickets to your show and things of that. Please,
3: yes, come see. uh, For tickets, they can get on yakov.com, which is Y-A-K-O-V.com. I only do 21 shows uh, in my theater uh, in October and November. So if you go online, you can buy tickets. I'd love for you to come and see the show, it's really, it's an experience. It's a journey that I'm taking you on to, even though with all the negative things that I see coming on uh, into a uh, horizon in the United States, I still, I travel the world, I go everywhere, and I still love this country. And I, I, I think being in the middle of the country is wonderful we just, my wife and I just bought a house in in Branson. Prior to that, we we weren't sure because we lived between Malibu and in Missouri. And then we we said after COVID hit, we said let them have it, you know. And we left and bought a house here, and very happy to be here. So I think you will enjoy the experience. I think you will walk out inspired. Uh, even though we're, we need to be watchful so we don't end up like the Soviet Union. We need to be careful, but it's still a greatest place on Earth.
2: Well, one of the reasons it's the greatest place on Earth is because of the people who've come here from around the world. That's right. To celebrate what's rich in the United States, and I'll even go so far as to say what's rich about the Missouri Ozarks and rich about Branson, Missouri. Yes. Yes. We love this part of the country and we invite you to come just leave your liberal politics somewhere else, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's it's truly a wonderful part of the world and uh, part of what makes it wonderful are people like Yakov Smirnov, who performs in Branson regularly so hopefully you'll get a chance to see him on the show down there it's been a great great time having you on our show today thank you for being our best uh, our guest
3: rather our best guest how about that best oh I like that and I just want to mention last thing that uh, I don't I don't do any really political humor in my show. So whether you're liberal or or a conservative, you will still enjoy it. I promise you that. And the show for this year, it's called United Will Laugh.
2: Uh, very good. Well, I bet we will laugh if Yakov Smirnoff is at the helm.
1: And Barry, may I, may I please ask that we get Yakov back again to talk about laughing?
2: Wouldn't it be cool if we could do we'll make this our annual Fourth of July show. We'll always have Yakov come back and, and tell us about new things. This has been a great time today. Yakov, maybe we'll uh, we'll connect up and see if we can do this again next year. It was wonderful having well, you as our a, guest today.
3: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you and I'm working on a podcast myself so maybe there is something Canadians can do for, for me as well.
2: I'll be happy to introduce you to the folks who can make that happen.
3: All right. Well, that's it for
2: this edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. You've been listening to Yakov Smirnoff as we celebrate America. We talk about money and taxes, negatively about taxes for good reason here, but we talk about those kinds of things all the time. And I wanted this show to just be an opportunity for us to celebrate uh, the fact that we live in a country where we can talk freely, at least still at this point, about whatever we want to and a place where we have the opportunity to retire that doesn't exist where everywhere else, and a place where we still have the opportunity to be whatever we want to be. And a, a poor kid who is having to sell condoms on the street to make a living <laughs> can come to America and find his pot of gold at the end of the red, white, and blue rainbow. Thanks so much for listening to our show. Until next time, this is Barry Watts, on the truth about taxes and retirement.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of savingyoutaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.